grace and peace of Christ be with you and also with you let's turn and greet one another Welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, all of you who got up early enough and remember to set your clocks. And we are especially glad that you're here if you're visiting with us. Would you look at the friendship pad that's on each uh, pew near the center aisle and take it and fill it out and begin to pass it down the rows so that we know that you're with us today. You can see that the 10 o'clock service will be a combination worship service and congregational meeting about Jerry's retirement. So grab a donut and some coffee and come on back in well, without the donut and the coffee at 10 o'clock, <laughs> and, um, and join us for that. Also, you can see the services for Holy Week, for Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. We have services at 7 p.m., and uh, the regular service times on Palm Sunday. On Easter, we are at 8, 9.30, and 11. So nothing is at 8.30. So if you got 8.30 in your mind, got a reset, and you're very good at that because you managed this morning. Uh, a women's retreat is this coming weekend. It is full. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can check with the office. Also, our grief support group begins eight days after Easter, as usual. It is a six-week class, and from everything I hear from people who go, have been to it, it is extremely helpful. So if you've lost someone that you love, it is a wonderful class that you will, uh, I think that you will, I don't want to say enjoy, that will be very useful to you in the next few weeks. So uh, you can sign up online for that. And if you have any questions, you see that you can contact the office. For our kids, uh, middle school, there's still a few spots left 
at Forest Home. Is that still true? It was true when this was printed. Two spots, full for high school. We are full for high school. And Camp H2O still has some room for third through fifth graders. But don't delay. This is not something you wait and sign up for at summertime. You've got to do it now. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Lord God, we worship you beneath the cross of Jesus. The great symbol of your love for all humanity, the witness to the great truth that you created everything that there is in love, that you've redeemed us in love and that you sustain the whole cosmos and indeed our lives by the power of your love. As we gather together this morning, we ask that you will speak to us from your word and reassure us that the proof of your amazing love is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please join me for our call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those He redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he satisfies the thirsty, and the hungry he fills with good things. Amen. Let us stand and worship the Lord.
Let's just have the women sing, Lord, you have my heart. Lord, you have my heart, just the women. And I will search for yours. Let me. Jesus, take my life and lead me on. Men, will you sing the second verse there? Lord, you have my heart. Lord, you have my heart. And I will search for yours. Let me be to you a sacrifice. Hear their prayer. Together, and I will praise you, Lord. Becoming one of us, God became poor so we could receive the riches of mercy. In coming to us, God took on our death so we could be made alive together with Christ. Come, let us offer our confessions, knowing that by grace we have been saved through faith. Let us pray. God, we confess that we are an impatient and selfish people. When you offer us the promise of a new future, we complain that you don't get there fast enough. When you provide for our needs, we complain that it isn't enough. And when our bad attitudes and negative outlooks cause us to stumble, we blame you. Holy God, Forgive, Forgive our, our sinful ways. ways. Teach us to be patient. Instruct us to be grateful. Guide us to be responsible and humble. As we turn ourselves around and look to the cross, let us experience your grace and your gift of new life. So hear now the silent confessions of our hearts. For we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We are what he, he has, has made us, us created in Jesus Christ for good, good works, works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand to be our way of life. Amen. This morning, 
from John chapter 3 is one of the best-known uh, Bible texts that the church reads. And uh, during this season of Lent, <clears throat> it is very important that we listen again to the basic message of the gospel, of the good news of God revealed in Jesus Christ. John 3, verse 14. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Merciful God, you have come to us in the context of the mysteries of our lives. Indeed, at the very heart of human brokenness and unbelief, you come with the assurance that you desire nothing more than to rescue, to save, to make us whole, to surround us, to carry us on the wings of your power and love. As we worship you this morning, as we sit beneath the cross of Jesus, may our eyes be opened and our hearts receptive to your word. We pray in your name. Amen. The story in Numbers 21 is one of the most interesting and I think well-known stories from the Old Testament that Jesus employed in John 3.16 in order to interpret his own life and his destiny in Jerusalem. The children of Israel in Numbers 21 had been on a long journey out of Egypt toward the promised land and they had seen many mighty deeds of God to save them, to rescue them, to give them a new hope, a new life. And yet the longer they were in the desert, circling around on their way to the promised land, the more frustrated they became, the more impatient they were, and the more they complained. And murmured against both God and Moses. 
And the people came to Moses and said to him, Why did you bring us out into this wilderness? To starve us to death? Sure, we've had manna from heaven and water from the rock and quail birds. And... But as far as we're concerned now, this is miserable food. We have a craving for the flavors of Egypt. And really we do not know if this God who's led us out into this place is good and is able to complete his promise to us. Turn us around. Or at least would you please ask God to satisfy some of our needs. Not unlike, you know, we've all taken trips with our kids in the car with them constantly asking, are we there yet? Is it not time to stop, rest stop? We're getting restless. How much longer is it going to be until we get to our destination? And so it goes on and on. And by the time you get to your destination, everyone is angry with everyone else in the car. I can remember a number of those times in my family. Thank God for patience of parents. Long last we arrive. And so Moses heard the request of the people and he prayed for them. He prayed for them because the Lord, in understanding the unbelief and the rebellion of his people that he'd seen over and over again, it's almost as if the Lord was impatient at this point. He sent poisonous snakes that bit many of the people in the desert, and many Israelites died. And so they cried out to Moses, Please ask God to take the snakes away. Well, God answered the prayers, but did not take the snakes away. Rather, he said to Moses, fashion a bronze serpent, a snake-like object, wind it around the pole, and lift it up at the center of the camp. And whenever anyone is bitten, Tell them to look to that symbol of God's saving grace. I know this is a difficult story for us to listen to. It seems so ancient and almost pagan. And yet Jesus takes this story and says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and the people saw it and were saved, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who believe in Him may live. Clearly, Jesus was speaking of the cross upon which he would be lifted up. And as people turned and looked at him and absorbed the magnitude of what was happening at the center stage of human history, so as they saw Jesus on the cross 
and believed in Him, they would receive the gift of eternal life. And what was driving this action of God? Pure love. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This morning we sit beneath a beautiful cross, a Celtic cross, a nice background to it. We're grateful for that cross. It's not difficult for us to look at that cross. It's a beautiful work of art. When we rebuilt the church, we went through a number of uh, ruminations about whether or not we could install a cross on the steeple of our church, on the, the bell tower. And one of the big questions we dealt with, was there ever a cross there? We decided that there must have been, although we couldn't exactly work it out in the pictures that we saw. We were concerned about what the city fathers might say about us lifting up at the very center of this community, secular community, by the way, a cross, and all that that symbol represented. There's a lot of debate in our society now whether or not crosses ought to be in any public place because it's a religious symbol. And we can understand some of the concerns about that. I'm working now through uh, the Ignatian prayer exercises again. Did this a number of years ago. Every Tuesday I go and, and visit with Father Patrick Howell who's the interim director of the Loyola Institute. And we're at that place in the exercises. It's really a, a prayer meditation, a scripture meditation thing. And we're at that place where we are contemplating the cross of Jesus in the light of our own sins. And asking our, ourselves, what does this cross reveal about ourselves and the issues of our life? And can we bear to sit beneath the cross of Jesus and see it for what it really was and how our lives are connected with it? Every one of our lives, indeed all of human history. The Christian church has always proclaimed that the cross stands at the center of human history as the place where God acted in the incarnate Jesus of Nazareth in order to reconcile us to himself. But who can bear to see what really happened on the cross and how it was my sin and your sin and humanity's sins, our unbelief, our rebellion, our complaints, our our lack of trust that drove Jesus to the cross for the sake of healing our lives, of saving us. Over the years, I've preached to you about the cross on a number of occasions. 
And some of those sermons come to mind. I think of the many times we've talked about C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the death of Aslan on the stone altar in order to redeem the life of a young traitor in the land of Narnia. What captured my attention as never before this week was the perspective of the two little girls, Susan and Lucy, who watched this event while the wicked witch and all the, the demons of hell rallied around the stone table, the, the rock of sacrifice, where they bound the lion and plunged the dagger into his heart. And Aslan died for the sake, taking the place of a human boy, Edmund to set him free from his betrayal. And through the eyes of those little girls, to hear the cries of lack of understanding, of ask the question, why? Why was this necessary? Can we not do something? Can we not keep him and save him from the cross? We do not understand this. This is such an evil, and how do we incorporate this evil act in the light of what we know about the message of God's love? How do you reconcile that? To be sure, Aslan dies as a substitutionary offering, but a few days later, the deep magic of Narnia begins to work backwards. And Aslan springs to life again because he knew the deeper magic that once an innocent victim died for someone who, who had betrayed his friends, that time began to run backwards and life had a new beginning. That's what we're talking about here. I thought of Elie Wiesel's autobiography, Night in which he reflected upon the death of some prisoners who were hung on the gallows in a concentration camp in the 1940s in Nazi Germany. He'd seen so many innocent children die. as they watched what was happening before the whole camp, as three prisoners were executed to make a point that you dare not escape or try to escape, a voice cried out that he heard, where is God now? Where is God when we need him? How could God be present in the midst of this? And Elie Wiesel, the great Jewish philosopher, said, I heard a voice rise up from within me that said, he is there on the gallows, dead. God died, and it destroyed his faith. There was no God. Or if there was a God, God was dead. The message in one way or another of the cross is spread across all of human literature and art and movies. We know that there's something strange and wonderful. A message of salvation is communicated. Think of that wonderful movie, Ben-Hur, where Judah Ben-Hur at the end of that movie stands beneath the cross of this man named Jesus 
And as it's raining, the blood flows down from the cross and his mother and sister are healed of their leprosy in the blood of Christ upon the cross. And it is a moment of salvation and he becomes a believer. I can barely stand to look at the cross and think about it in terms of my own need for it. And I'm not even sure if I'm thinking about it or reflecting upon it through my eyes or not. But the impact of it is profound. And a new self-knowledge comes and a new awareness of the grace and the mercy of God. You remember in 2002 when I stood for moderator of the General Assembly, the highest elective office in, the, in our denomination. Throughout many nights, I would dream about what theme do I want to address for the gathered Presbyterians? And finally, it became clear in my dreams out of Ephesians chapter 2 of what God had done on the cross where he made peace with all of humanity through the blood of the cross, reconciled us to God and to one another, and began to incorporate all of us, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, black and white, to reconcile us to God and to one another and to create one new humanity. out of those who would respond to the message of God's unconditional favor and love poured out in the blood of Christ at the cross. And so I knew my theme. United at the cross. And I wanted nothing more. I felt the Lord had called me to lift high the cross of Christ over the church because it is the one source of loving power in this cosmos that can unite us, make us one, and empower us for our mission in the world. Afterwards, one of my critics wrote, it seemed that Mr. Tankersley wanted to preach to the General Assembly. <laughs> he was exactly right. I wanted to do what the Apostle Paul had done in every Roman Greco city, our village where, that he visited to go to the marketplace or to the synagogue and lift high the cross of Jesus Christ, fully realizing that Jews want signs more than anything, mighty miracles, demonstrations, validations of the power of God. And Greeks desire wisdom, knowledge and Paul said we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to those who are perishing but for those who are being saved the very power of God unto salvation the chief mission 
of the church of Jesus Christ is to continue in every generation to lift high the cross of Jesus Christ as the place where we have come to know how great God's love is for every one of us, even though we be sinners. Living lives of brokenness with wreckage all over the place, nevertheless, God has a way of hearing our prayers and our cries, and he has acted to save us. So we sit beneath this cross this morning, and we come to the place where we can see through the eyes of faith this table that speaks to us of the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is the place where Christ, the resurrected Christ, meets us and fills us up with himself and with the power of his love and gives us energy to face the issues and challenges of our life knowing that we have through faith already passed from death to life, from darkness to light, through faith in Christ. We have received the benefits of the cross, the very power of God's love. Thanks be to God. Please join with me in our affirmation of faith and standing. We read Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 1.18 responsively. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will dwarf. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Praise God. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
Let's stand as we sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings Let us pray. Eternal God, our Holy Father, you never fail to give us each day all that we ever need and even more. Give us such joy in living and such peace in serving Christ that we may gratefully make use of all of your blessings and joyfully seek our risen Lord in everyone we meet. Open our eyes this week to see your hand at work and help us to be thankful for the gifts that you have blessed us with and to share your blessings with others. We entrust these tithes and offerings to you and seek your blessing upon them to bring glory and honor and praise to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The scriptures speak of Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The book of Revelation, chapter 5, has a vision of Christ as both the Lion of Judah and the, the Lamb of God, who is able to interpret history because he holds history in his own hands. And it was this Lamb who was slaughtered. The writer of Revelation says, and through his blood he ransomed people for himself out of every nation and language and tribe and has been at work through the power of his spirit of love dwelling at the heart yes even at the heart of human evil in weakness and in brokenness symbolized at the cross as one who has triumphed over the powers of sin and death that we might live so people will come from east and west and north and south, and sit at table in the kingdom of God. We join them today. We come in faith and with profound thanksgiving for the goodness of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, it is with hearts full of praise that we come to this table, which you, in your generosity, spread before us as if it were not enough to make the world beautiful and intricate. You gave the kiss of life to the dust of the earth. You made us in your image. So we bless you for the gifts of creation. As if it were not enough to care for your world at a distance, you sent your son to share our human condition, to live and walk beside us, to be obedient, to the point of death on a cross. By his dying and rising, he releases us from bondage to sin and frees us from the dominion of death. So we bless you for your love for us in Jesus Christ. As if it were not enough to be looked at and listened to, you invited us to feast at your very table. 
when we rejected your invitation. You did not reject us. You loved us still and called us to turn again to you in obedience and in love. So we bless you, God of our salvation. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this cup and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and cup, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. And so with the confidence of the children of God, we pray as you have taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body given for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. As often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Thanks be to God for the good gifts of God that bring healing and salvation to us. Amen. Would our elders please come and join us here. Our ushers will bring you a row at a time. We invite you to come, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, commune and prayerfully return to your seats. Let us worship the Lord.
Apostle Paul wrote these words about himself, and they apply to the church. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In life and in death, we belong to God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, 
and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen.